Welcome. So, welcome. <laughs> well, you went a bit rogue. You, you, you were starting differently. <laughs> I did go a bit rogue. I was starting differently. Uh, so, well, that's a fun welcome back to Love's Labour's Washed, your favourite, of course, if not slightly on hiatus, pop culture, women-focused podcast. Um, how are you all? How was your September? Ours was good. Is yours good, Francesca? So I'm talking for you. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, it's nice to be back, though. Um, I think we have mm. we have lots to talk about over the coming weeks and months that we're getting excited for already. So, and quite a lot of pop culture, I think, kind of happened slash came out in September. I mean, obviously, we had some some bad news in the world of pop culture as well. In well, namely, I was thinking about the fact that obviously the Bond movie has been cancelled and yeah. cinema has come to a bit of a standstill. But Netflix has sort of saved the day, depending on your point of view, by <laughs> bringing out some movies that perhaps would have been released in the cinema, but instead have gone straight to streaming. And one yes. of them we're going to speak about today, right? Yeah, yeah. See if you can guess as we talk. But absolutely, um, me and my uh, me and my boyfriend watched Onward recently, which just came out on Disney Plus, and of course, Mulan yeah. was out on Disney Plus. So I do think that despite the sort of doom and gloom for the culture industry at at, at large, and that is definitely true. Um, hopefully, we can all find ways around it and ways to continue to not consume but continue to enjoy and invest in pop culture whilst being safe uh, of course and respectful of covid and its destructive powers mm. um so we're back on that note too uh to talk about pop culture have some interviews coming up in the next few months with various authors who are still doing their thing we'll be trying to go to a few social distance shows so yeah we're back all guns blazing after our short hiatus and equally if you're unfamiliar with the show hi i'm helena <laughs> Sorry, yeah, we didn't even introduce ourselves. We just assumed that no. everyone's a loyal fan at this point. But yeah, yes. we did. And I'm Francesca. Um, yeah, we're both um, 20 somethings yeah. living in London. <laughs> so I'm doing your bit now. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead and say your line. <laughs> oh, dear. So, uh, and we are, uh, we are tw- two 20 somethings living in London who just like to chat to and about and with people who uh, do pop culture things books, movies, TV shows, uh, theatre. Uh, maybe other things sometimes interpretive <laughs> theater outdoor theater but just go and talk all about that we have a whole year's worth of content that is available for you on all the podcast providers you might use spotify itunes um and it's all available up there all our interviews with big authors like madeline miller Britt bennett so do please if you uh, want to know more about who we are or you want to hear more from us go back listen back yeah, shall we dive straight into our, our topic for today? So yes. unlike um, a lot of our recent episodes have revolved around books and have revolved around interviews, this week, mm. no interviews, just our opinions. Um, and we are Hooray going you. to... Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to listen to the experts. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, um, no, no. <laughs> we, we have been so lucky to have so many great interviewees, but it's also fun to just have a, a little catch-up chat and, and discuss one of the movies that we've enjoyed recently. Enola Holmes, mm. the Netflix movie, mystery film, which is based on the novel by Nancy Springer, which is a YA novel, which focuses on Enola Holmes, who is Sherlock Holmes's younger sister. She didn't appear in the original books by Arthur Conan Doyle. She is, I believe, Nancy Springer's invention, but she is a 16-year-old girl 
kind of a little bit in the shadow of her famous older brother, but with plenty to say and plenty to do on her own accord. She's played in the movie by Millie Bobby Brown of Stranger Things fame. And Millie Bobby Brown was instrumental in getting this movie made. She was a producer. um, She was involved in the casting. She was involved, I think, in the script as well. Speaking of which, the screenplay was by Jack Thorne, who is a playwright known for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Yeah. The movie also has a star-studded cast, right? You've got, yeah. alongside Billy Bobby Brown playing the titular Enola Holmes, you have yeah. Sam Claflin as her other brother, Mycroft, Henry Cavill, kind of bizarrely, as Sherlock, and Helena Bonham yeah. Carter as her mother. Mm-hmm. So, Helena, what were your expectations of this movie going in? I think it was one that has been kind of like a bit hyped on social media, especially if you follow Millie Bobby Brown, if you follow Netflix, which lots of us do. What were you thinking it was going to be like? I definitely wasn't surprised by what we got, to be honest with you. So what I was expecting was, well, for one thing, it was number one on Netflix and it was released, which I think is a mixture, obviously, of Millie Boy Brown's own fame. Um, Also, she was talking about the movie a lot. And then also the fact that, you know, of course, we're in a scenario where there isn't much else to watch. Sorry. Um, so I definitely saw that. I was quite excited, really, because I, Millie Boy Brown has really spoken about how much this movie means to her on her social media. And she's been saying about how she really wants to speak to young women, as she does actually more and more, I think, with her brand, her branding as a celebrity and an actress, right? You know, she really wants to speak to young women and she really wants to be out there saying like, you can do anything, you know? And so the, yeah, Sherlock's little sister, I was actually quite excited because it didn't feel to me as much of like, let's shoehorn a female detective in, right? Let's make a female Sherlock, which I think is some people's first instinct. They want to like feminize a movie is they want to just make the, just gender bend the hero and then have everything be the same, which isn't really invention, it's just manipulation. Not say that's bad, I just don't think it's very creative or very insightful. And I think that, or exciting. So I was quite excited to think that like there would be this new character who is gonna invade this world and engage with everybody and then have her own spin on it. And Millie Boy Brown obviously is an amazing, very charismatic actress, as jealous of her as I am, I cannot deny that. Um, (laughs) I think I, got a lot of what I expected. You know, Millie Boy Brown is charming. Helena Bottom Carter is Helena Bottom Carter. Uh, the strange casting of the brothers is interesting, if not kind of not that important because they're not in the film that much anyway. And I really, really enjoyed actually the uh, element of it that Millie Boy Brown, she fights a lot in the movie, right? Like Anona fights constantly. Like barring the fact the plot's a bit all over the place. It's so cool. She, Enola fights everyone, like constant physical fighting. And I think that watching a young woman beat up a, a beefy assassin man, as happened at one point in the movie, <laughs> you're like, wow. So definitely all those things mushed up together is what I expected. And then what I got was that, plus Millie Boy Brown beating people up is where I am right now. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, you mentioned about almost being a bit jealous of Millie Bobby Brown. And I get that because I think she's this incredibly talented young actress who has used her platform, which at times I imagine must be overwhelming. I mean, she became famous for Stranger Things at a very early age. She uses that platform for good, you know, to promote movies and projects that she's passionate about. And this film is just so fun. It is very female focused. It's female led. And it does kind of turn the Sherlock Holmes tales on their head a little bit. And I think that's what I was most interested in going for, uh, going into the movie because, you know, I've watched, we were talking while we were watching the film about the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr., which I think in oh, some yeah. ways, this film has a slightly similar aesthetic to. It's kind yeah, of a bit I steampunky. So. 
Um, mm. But perhaps the more famous recent Sherlock adaptation is like the BBC one with Benedict Cumberbatch. Both of those movies, I think, make a big thing about Sherlock being a star. Here, Sherlock is fully sidelined, partly because he's played by Henry Cavill, who, although he is very good looking, you know, very charming, he's not really very well cast in this film. He feels a bit out of place, perhaps yeah, deliberately it, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. It is an interesting role for him. I don't think he plays it with, not that he's bad at it, it's all the fact that he's just not, he's not uh, weird enough to be Sherlock. Maybe that's what it is. Like Robert Downey Jr. at least has mm. that edge. Henry Cavill has no edges. Sorry, Henry. No, he doesn't. Um, but but yeah, I think that's what I was excited about anyway, is seeing Sherlock mm. and that world kind of portrayed in a slightly different way. And I think this movie definitely does it. The other kind of inventive thing that the film employs, which I wasn't aware of until I saw the trailers, is she breaks the fourth wall and she directs yeah. has she directs lines to camera frequently. Interestingly, the movie was directed by Harry Bradbeer, who also directed Fleabag. In Fleabag, oh, for those of you, yeah. yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen it, which I imagine is few people, um, in Fleabag, she regularly, the main character played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, regularly breaks the fourth wall in a very oh. kind of seamless, clever way. And I think it's obviously done very similarly in this movie in that it feels quite effortless. But I think mm. that is a sign of, you know, good directing and good storytelling, because I'm not sure it is particularly it's not a particularly easy thing to actually do probably as an actress or you know in a movie so yeah yeah I enjoyed that too because I think it meant that you felt that you were very much on Enola's side from the outset you know you felt like you were along for the ride with her on as you say what is slightly kind of sort of a bit all over the place in terms of a plot in terms of a mystery but throughout all those sorts of twists and turns it's like fun the whole time isn't it yeah it is and Nola's at the centre so she's been living in this wild way with her mum and her mum just disappears out of nowhere and it becomes quite clear early on that her mum has gone on purpose right they have this half-hearted look for her and I call that half-hearted because they get sidetracked by something else right and then the real mystery appears and you're like okay cool there's the real mystery um but then there's a lot of stuff that's kind of thrown away like the mum's location suddenly becomes unimportant and you're like oh okay so we don't care about the mum anymore okay also some things are revealed about the mum that you're a bit like is this dangerous do is the mum a criminal not sure oh, okay ignore ignore okay uh, and then you have you know some you know then you have some random references to like women fighting in like this dojo above a shop and you're like they're only vaguely referenced and then there's sort of like a murder plot which again like very subtly becomes quite intense so i think there's a lot of stuff which it veers into quite quickly but on reflection i think that like actually that is kind of the experience of like a 16 year old as we assume she is she is a detective that these things just get thrown at her and her mm. attention gets focus in different directions and it's like oh this oh this oh that and then as a young person reading a detective novel you don't want a lot of depth because you're not old enough to retake really it in what you want is stimulus and lots of things for you to engage with and lots of situations that someone like uh Enola is put into and I think one of the great things about it is that Enola is the center of everything like we said sometimes didn't we that some of the characters are a bit 2D like Sherlock is a bit 2D um so is Mycroft the kind of dastardly eldest brother who's a bit lame and wet as well. And then this Viscount of Banbury or whatever his name is, uh, again, appears out of nowhere. But I think Enola is the centre of the world and she's telling the story and things come in and go and you don't see other people's perspectives because it's all about Enola. And I think that stood out because you're not used to that. You're used to the women in, show, in films and shows coming in and then leaving. 
Enola is the center of the whole thing. It's her thoughts, her perspective, her experiences. Yeah. And I think the, the necessary drawbacks of having that kind of character focus, which you need when you're making a film about a young woman, is that you lose some emphasis on other things. But actually, Millie Boy Brown is strong enough to hold that focus. And that Fleabag style interaction kind of keeps her human as well. Um, and I think actually it's like, yeah, like Fleabag is necessarily myopic because it's all about Phoebe Waller-Bridge's weird experiences. And I think uh, Enola Holmes kind of has to do that. It does. And so it becomes a bit less of a mystery, you know, a very, very well-crafted mystery film, more of like a film about a young woman that's necessarily a bit more limited because of it. But that's not a criticism. That's more actually refreshing. And I think... I wouldn't be able to say that about other films like yeah. of that kind. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, you are in her head the whole way through. And, you know, it's also just infused with fun the whole time. Yeah. I mean, there are, as you say, there are these like quite energetic and exciting fight scenes that Enola finds herself involved in. And there is like a threat the whole way through. But the threat never felt particularly severe or... You know, I never had any doubt in my mind that, that Enola would pull through. And she ends the film in, in what is, I not don't really think this is a spoiler. She ends the film, you know, independent and successful. So I think that that kind of message is sort of there the whole time that she is, you kind of know that she's capable of doing what she needs to do to get through the plot. Mm -hmm. And then you are, you know, you are proven right by the end. Um but I think that doesn't take away from it being a, a fun ride to get there. And like the different characters that she interacts with, who were often played, as we were saying, by these really acclaimed and recognisable actors, uh, all have a kind of fun role to play. You know, even the slightly miscast Henry Cavill and the kind of underused Sam Claflin are still like fun and have a they have a focus and a purpose in the film and there's kind of a, like quite a sweet little like friendship slash potential love story for the future that she ends up in with this Viscount guy um which you know is just kind of is, is kind of done in like a fun way I think and without kind of sacrificing her as the main character and her story as the focus yeah it, it feels quite original in lots of ways but it also feels I think perhaps familiar to anyone who enjoys reading young adult fiction and enjoyed that as a as a teenager I think you know you and I both said when we watched it that we found ourselves thinking that we would have loved it when we were younger and we loved it now too yeah. but you know it feels like a film that knows who its audience is and revels in that and wants to delight them and probably will yeah yeah I agree and I think also like you have Sam Claflin as the mustachioed, slightly evil, annoying elder brother who sends her to finishing school and then the more austere Sherlock and then the very wild mother and then the classic romancy boy. It's, you know, I feel like these are characters that inhabit the imaginations of young people. So again, I think it's a smart choice because if you try to deepen the characters too much, they become complex and they become uh, unrelatable, right? To, like you need these like linchpins through around which Enola's life can turn because they're classic obstacles, they're classic problems that like a young woman has to face. So I definitely think that like the storytelling is the plot is fun if not a bit of a you know roller coaster, and the characters are a bit flat. But apart from Enola, but actually that's again that's why it works. Jack Thorne, who yeah wrote it, uh, has got a good sense I think of like what. I had the same idea when it came to the Cursed Child. Some people had a real problem with it when they uh, read it. 
But then they watched it and I think actually a lot of it really lent itself very well to the stage and to the kind of staging they were doing. So I think there's a smart thing about it too. He did his art materials as well and I think again that's quite pitch perfect for what it is. The the sort of criticism I read of this movie was that that the mystery kind of falls apart that the central mystery that's established at the beginning of her mother missing is kind of quite quickly sidelined and almost not particularly explained or not explained in as much detail as perhaps the audience might be expecting and then the other criticism that was voiced to me by a friend was that um Enola kind of ends up falling into several situations and doesn't always do the kind of like Sherlock Holmes style deductions that we might be expecting but I didn't really have a problem with either of those things. I mean, I think I was a little bit surprised that Helena Bonham Carter's disappearance wasn't like the focus of the film. Yeah, um, yeah. I was a bit surprised about that, but I don't think I was... I, I felt like her kind of slightly falling into situations, slightly being kind of dragged into conversations and interactions that she wasn't expecting, but yet excelling in those interactions was kind of part of the story. And it was a bit of a... I know um, we watched it with Connor your boyfriend and he said it was like an origin story and I feel like that's that was something that I kind of yeah. recognized too it felt like yeah, we're setting out so this smart. character <laughs> I'm sure he'll enjoy this shout out but yeah they're setting yeah. out this character who's who we're gonna see probably grow up and and experience perhaps some more intense adventures going forward or some more difficult problems to solve but this one was not easy by any means for her but something that was kind of like getting her out of the country house that she'd grown up in and into the world of Victorian England to explore and have adventures and I think yeah the world of Victorian England in this movie is definitely well yeah a bit of a sort of steampunk like you never feel I mean there is a threat that she might have to go to finishing school and that she might be kind of molded into a young lady but she is independent, which is, you know, it is designed to be an empowering and it is empowering yeah. to watch. But I think you could levy the criticism that it's not necessarily realistic. But equally, who is, I mean, Sherlock Holmes isn't realistic, you know? Like, no, I think. Yeah, he's not. You, yeah, you can enjoy a mystery for what it is, like a well crafted story with a fun protagonist who's taking you on that journey. And you don't need it to be grounded in realism. No, I know. That's a classic thing. I think people levy at women's women in the arts in general. It's like you have to have a reason to be there. And it's like, why can't Millie Bobby Brown, as Enola Holmes, wander around the town in amazing outfits and be a, fem a young female detective and just have her life happen to her? Like, why, why is that less believable? And why is that less kind of realistic than yeah. Robert Downey Jr. running around solving crimes and then jumping off a waterfall? Like, come on. <laughs> Although, as a little side note, where was Dr. Watson supposed to be? Like, they never mentioned him oh, at good all. Point. And it was funny because when I first saw the promos for this movie, I thought that Sam Claflin was playing John Watson. But obviously, you know, oh. he's playing, he's playing the, you know, the other brother, which, which kind of makes more sense in the context of the plot. But yeah, John Watson was not there. I mean, you know, the, the, the men of Sherlock Holmes are definitely not the priority in this film. And like that, as you say, refreshing and fun. And I think yeah. ultimately it's a film that doesn't really want to be analysed too much and I'm hesitant to analyse it almost further than we have like because I think it is just entertaining. It's also quite escapist, you know, I mean, we touched on at the beginning of this conversation just the the state of cinema at the moment and how, you know, often I think what we're looking for is we're just looking for like a way of losing ourselves in 
movies or TV or books at the moment. Which isn't to say there isn't also room for hard-hitting, serious drama, yeah. because there always is. And I agree. And I think also, <laughs> I have no interest, literally, in watching any COVID-based dramas or com- comedies. Like, you know someone's no. going to do it. Like, we all live through it. No, thank you. And I think, uh, given that we're going to continue to live through it for some time, it's going to be a while before we before we really want to, like, engage in that content, I think. Um, Emily in Paris. There's a reason why that show has been successful. Um, oh, yeah. But Here yeah. we go then. Okay. Go. <laughs> well, yeah. let's, let's, let's include this. Have a little break. And then we will come back and speak some more about Emily in Paris. But to wrap up, we would really recommend Enola Holmes. It's a great movie, great fun. Millie Bobby Brown is fantastic. And yeah, it's just a enjoyable lockdown watch for sure. So welcome back everyone after the chill music that we have chosen in such a chill fashion for you to listen to while we skipped the next bit so we uh, we said it would happen we threatened it would happen and here we go so we're now on to the portion of the show where we discuss what we've been watching reading engaging with what we've been dreaming about so Francesca you have watched the infamous Emily in Paris so hated that the FT talked about it last week the Financial Times which is a very academic newspaper about the economics of stuff in the UK for those of you who don't know so but Jessica take us on lead us through Emily in Paris okay so Emily in Paris is a comedy drama also on Netflix although interestingly it was not made for Netflix so it was originally made was made by MTV Studios and I think it was originally going to be on Paramount Network in the US which I'm not particularly well familiar with but either way Netflix snapped it up and you can see why because it is the kind of TV series equivalent of the sort of Netflix original movies that are set at Christmas that we often talk about like A Christmas Prince etc it's the same kind of vibe it's this beautiful young woman who's a protagonist who kind of has the world is sort of her oyster everybody loves her everything sort of goes her way even when it kind of doesn't and it's not really clear whether you're supposed to love her or loathe her or admire her but you're on her journey you are in Paris with her the title says it all it's I guess a kind of a bit of rom-com um I mean I saw the trailer for this and I was like I'm definitely gonna watch that because as I said to Helena I have quite a high tolerance for this kind of thing like Uh, yeah kind of watch like a lot of romantic comedies a lot of like you know girls in a city trying to figure it out type shows and like probably find something to enjoy in them I didn't watch Emily in Paris straight away though I waited to watch it via Netflix party with my friend Katie shout out to Katie who moved to Paris and we thought that she might see something of herself in Emily um luckily she didn't really because I don't think <laughs> anyone would Paris. yeah I don't think anyone would really want to uh feel an affinity her. with her no yeah, um yeah. but we watched it and it was just like a bit of a roller coaster like to begin with it has a kind of like slightly Disney channel almost like Lizzie McGuire vibe which I was very much here for but also was quite baffled by because you know she is an adult it is a an adult show like it's definitely not designed for kids or teenagers in terms of the content but it has this sort of rosy aesthetic and plot that makes you feel a bit like you're watching a Disney Channel film. Emily herself is played by the actress Lily Collins who you might know from 
Quite a lot of things. She's been in a lot of things over the yeah. years, hasn't she? Like, a lot of things, yeah. Love yeah. Rosie is coming to mind. Mirror, Mirror, that Snow White adaptation. Um, yeah, of course. She's, yeah, she's kind of like been in quite a lot of things. And I think she's quite well known because she's the daughter of Phil Collins. And she's also been in like various modelling campaigns. Um, but this, I would say, is hitting her into the big big time you know like this is something where she's suddenly become like a household name so she plays this main character emily who is this young woman a social media marketing expert allegedly even though at the beginning (laughs) of the show she only has 42 instagram followers which is quite unusual for like someone in their 20s who's a marketing expert but there we go um over the course of the series her instagram followers grow like exponentially as she becomes this kind of like parisian influencer as a side note, this was probably one of the first times that I've seen a show where somebody is an influencer and like that's the plot of the show. I feel like this could become more common in the future. But yeah. it was interesting yeah, because you know how like in the past the rom-com ideal profession would be something like a cupcake shop owner or yeah, yeah. a food journalist or, or something, you know. In yeah, this case, yeah. she is an influencer and I feel like that's the new the new kind of aspirational job um it's it was all filmed in paris last autumn apparently and it is like sumptuous to watch i mean it's these like beautiful parisian street scenes beautiful if not slightly mad clothes and beautiful people so it is kind of like a bit like sinking into a warm bath you know like it's pure Hmm. comfort but it's also really quite silly (laughs) it's kind of like it's a very it's an interesting it's an interesting juxtaposition and like even me who has like as I said a very high tolerance for this kind of thing was a bit like am I going to kind of get into this because it is so off the wall but I did get into it I did watch all of it uh, and did enjoy it and I felt it was it was just pure escapism I mean it doesn't really make any sense um both in terms of the plot or her behavior or the vision of Paris which is completely whitewashed unrealistic in every sense Mm. of the word every single man who meets her falls in love with her every single woman who meets her wants to be her best friend I mean you Helena have no desire to watch this show and I do not think you ever will watch it unless you (laughs) one day get drunk and fall into its web but um yeah yeah, my biggest problem with it is like, okay, we know why these shows get made, right? Like, we know um, it's because it's because it's thought like, okay, so uh, people like to watch this garbage, so we'll make it like fine, right? Um, it's just more the, the 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 laziness of the like the unapologetic laziness of the American in Paris. Like, it's said right that she basically just doesn't bother at all to assimilate or to learn the language and just kind of goes around being like oh my god like everyone has to help me and everyone has to talk to me so there's that element which i think it's like i don't know why some of these shows create these characters they're meant to be the main character but literally they're awful and you hate them and you're like did you mean to make them so awful i'm just not sure like maybe you did maybe you didn't so that's, i just find that interesting that they that that is popular uh, and again like People like apparently like people hated it so much, like this obnoxious American in Paris, like the FT wrote about it. But the other side of that too, isn't it, is that Netflix probably knew exactly what they were doing and they knew what kind of backlash it would have and they knew everyone would watch it because of that. Yeah. We're humans, that's what we do. And it's interesting you mentioned this FT article because what it was saying was that, um, you know, French critics had pulled the show to shreds 
but it was number one on French Netflix in terms of viewership. So all the viewers were still watching it. And I think yeah. it is kind of fascinating that while everybody I know who's watched it and all the critics that have reviewed it have all kind of acknowledged that it's not kind of like fundamentally a good show in the traditional mm. definition of the word or the phrase. It was interesting because while I was watching it, I was trying to think whether they were like consciously making her a bit jarring or whether it was a kind of a mistake. And so, like there are moments where they make fun of her as an American in Paris, which feel realistic. Right. So, for example, okay. she never learns the language and she doesn't really try. And nobody really supports that decision. Everyone definitely thinks that's a bit of an issue. And I wouldn't be surprised if the second season begins with a bit of a time gap and she's like learned French like just because it doesn't really make any sense that she works at a French marketing firm but she doesn't know how to speak French at all um (laughs) and also there are moments where she like speaks really loudly and it's like we're supposed to be like a joke slash commentary on the fact that Americans as a bit of a stereotype often speak very loudly when it's not really necessary and obviously the French might be a bit more restrained and, and softly spoken so there are moments like that where I think you know, the show kind of knows what it's doing. But then, yeah. you know, there's this, like, love affair. There are many Ooh. love affairs. But she has this um this flirtation with her downstairs neighbour. Uh, she initially meets him because she accidentally knocks on his door, like, quite a number of times because she gets confused about the fact that in the US, the first floor is, like, the oh, first floor you will... shut yeah. up. <laughs> shut up. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, that's how she first meets him. Um, But she does it like more than once. I was like, I get it the first time, but like, is this just an excuse to knock on his door? Which I would support. But anyway, (laughs) um, he, oh my God, Helen is like so, like he literally looks like Army Hammer mixed with Ewan McGregor if they were both French and a chef. (laughs) So, you know, Netflix slash whoever cast him like knew what they were doing. Yeah, Um, sure. But he has a girlfriend who... Emily becomes friends with who is this like super glam super cool French girl called Camille and what kind of transpires as a minor spoiler but let's be honest I don't think this will ruin anyone's enjoyment of Emily in Paris what transpires is they they sort of well it basically you know they're certainly emotionally cheating on Camille if not something more um Uh And that was kind of an interesting one because I was like, are we supposed to be kind of supporting this as an audience? Because we know Camille. It's not like she's kind of someone we don't know. She has become a character and she's a likeable character. So I wasn't really sure whether the show was like kind of supporting this slash... I mean, I think it definitely wants you to root for this couple, right? Because they're like definitely like the main couple. But I don't know. I mean, like the, the character's actions were often messy and complicated in a way that was perhaps a little bit surprising. You know, earlier I said it has this, like, slightly Disney vibe. I think it's not really moralistic. It's not like she learns her lessons or she improves or becomes a better person or or anything like that. She just kind of continues to behave the way she is. And I wouldn't say the show necessarily is presenting it as charming. Like, I don't know, to use the example of, like, we were talking about other shows, weren't we, which perhaps fall foul of this a little bit. I mean, Jess in New Girl... Yeah. Um, I think that in New Girl, they think Jess is great and they think, I don't think they're necessarily aware of reasons why an audience might occasionally find her a bit annoying. I think that was kind of not intentional. Um, yeah. And the same would be true of like Lorelai and Gilmore Girls or something, you oh. know. Uh, 
But in this case, I think maybe the show does realise that Emily has the potential to be annoying. Certainly the characters do seem to acknowledge it at times. But I don't know. Mostly it is just a bit of a roller coaster of kind of saccharine, <laughs> fun, <laughs> slightly bizarre vibes. But there are some really entertaining performances and fun characters as well. The yeah. actress Ashley Park who was in the Broadway yeah. production of Mean yeah. Girls. Mean Girls, yeah. Yeah, she plays this Chinese heiress who's left China and been cut off from her family and is living in Paris as a nanny, but also has an amazing singing voice and wants to pursue that. And she wears lots of kind of like outrageous, like Gossip Girl style outfits and has a great time. To be honest, it would have been more interesting if she was the main character, but she was a fun... Yeah a fun person to follow. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these characters don't necessarily get, well, they definitely don't get the screen time they deserve and the people of colour in the show are definitely sidelined. There are lots of issues with the show and I think, I hope that maybe it might address some of them if it gets a second season. That is, yeah. Those are my thoughts on Emily in Paris. We'd definitely love to hear anyone else's opinions. We'd also love to hear from anyone. I mean, I mentioned earlier, my friend who lives in Paris had watched it and she was like, yeah, it was very unrepresentative of her life in Paris. But I would love to hear from someone whose life basically is Emily in Paris. That would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. So yeah, if you if you got forced to move to Paris by your job <laughs> and you don't speak any French, you never learned any French and you also then cheated on one of your mates with her boyfriend, let us know. <laughs> yeah do we want to hear from this person i don't know but well, but she's, yeah she's emily in paris you know <laughs> yeah it's, it's 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 a wild ride um but you know i did enjoy having something very mindless to kind of watch the, the episodes are only like 20 minutes long as well so it's very you know it flies by it's it's interesting actually we didn't mention too that it was created by darren star who created sex in the city and you can ah, definitely see uh right, that right, heritage that in there yeah yeah that makes sense i see that yep there it is i don't like sex and city much either i think it's the idea of like that that catch-all girl who like you're really innately interested in but it's the same thing it's like whoever wrote this just doesn't understand that like the people he creates are, are garbage like carrie so boring oh my gosh I think one thing this shows, you know, although there are these other characters that she interacts with and she does make female friends, they are very secondary. And I think there have been other shows that have more successfully kind of depicted women in the city with a bit more nuance, but while still being kind of fun and frothy. Like the one that comes to mind is The Bold Type, which is on Amazon Prime in the UK. Um yeah. I'm not actually sure what it's on in the US, but it's, you know, one maybe Hulu? I don't know. Um, anyway, it's kind of like these three girls in New York who work for a fashion magazine. Although at times, like, it it also missteps and it's also unrealistic. Like, they get, like, um, taxis to work every day, for example. Um, but I think that show does actually try and um, tap into some kind of cultural conversations. And, you know, like, there was an episode... It, it launched, I think, in 2016 or 2017, and there was an episode that kind of commented on the Me Too movement and looked into that. There have been other episodes more recently that have also, yeah, sort of tapped maybe into the news cycle a little bit more. Emily in Paris feels very removed from that. Like there are moments where she tries to kind of bring in conversations about sexism at work, but it never feels particularly 
fleshed out <laughs> it's always kind of a bit of a, a bit of a side note really yeah yeah so yeah i mean the the final resolution now is that i probably will not watch it because i would scream at the tv but um i do uh i do appreciate and acknowledge uh the reasons why it would be watchable if that makes sense and lily yeah. collins and all her hard work yes she does play this character very well in that you kind of believe she's this like slightly obnoxious 20 something and then when you're watching it or sorry when you kind of you know see interviews and hear interviews with her in real life you're like oh no she's she's obviously a not the set she's not the role that she's playing you know she is not emily in paris she is lily in la she, i guess she's sorry lily in la <laughs> which is also actually like a really good title that would be a title of her memoir maybe yeah maybe well there we go lily collins if you do that we're going to expect a cut <laughs> Oh, yes. Anyway, we have some exciting episodes coming up, which are not about Emily in Paris. You'll be pleased to know. You can expect uh, episodes every two to three weeks. Uh, We have some interviews in the works, some book reviews, some discussions of various films. Uh, We're going to try and hit some theatre. We're going to see what we can do. So definitely please stay tuned for a whole bunch of fun stuff. Uh, We always have. Um, And as always, we actually uh, announce what we're doing and Uh, let you guys know when our next episode is going to be out on our twitter which is at real llw shake off the cobwebs a bit and then also our instagram which is loves labors watched we're always discussing what we're up to and what we're interested in on there if you want to pop us an email we are loves labors watched at gmail.com business inquiries anything you want to pitch to us you want to you have a guest you want to interview do you want to be interviewed do you have an idea about something you want to talk about do you want to just tell us that we're completely wrong anything like that do just drop us a line absolutely and yeah thank you for your patience during our hiatus as helena said earlier holiday holiday yeah we've we've been putting out a lot of episodes this year and we just had a little break through september but we're really excited to be back and have lots of yeah exciting content to discuss over the coming months so we will see you then yeah and until then check us or check out all our other episodes on spotify itunes wherever you get your podcast we've talked to some really cool people just saying yeah i mean <laughs> lenny abrahamson normal people Britt bennett yeah, Brett yeah. bennett so until then we will see you in a few weeks um stay safe guys follow us on our social media and we'll see you next time bye, bye.